Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. My name is Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader here at Niche. Today you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen on the go. You can find all the resources that are mentioned, as well as the original recording, on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy! All right. This is our third annual Grad Searcher Survey. Uh, it's something that we tend to ask in the spring as people are looking for programs. Uh, just want to get an idea of how, how students' process is changing year to year. Uh, this year, we had about 2,800 responses. We tried to do a little narrow window of time to get those responses. Of those, 19% were first-gen undergrad students. 61% will be the first in their family to have a graduate degree. I know things were a little bit different on the grad side when we talked about first-gen. Uh, there are those who had never attended undergrad. They have their own challenges. Then a lot of students who just don't have that experience of what the process looks like, expectations. Uh, so I wanted to put that in there for anybody. Uh, 39% are coming from low-income backgrounds, and 37% from underrepresented minority groups. So a lot of diversity there uh, in terms of the respondents. We have a good range of, of answers there. Uh, a few of the trends that we saw in terms of what programs students said they're interested in. Uh, in terms of the increasing interest, uh, we saw psychology up enormous amount. Uh, it went from only 2% to 12% of students uh, responding. Say they were interested in a psychology graduate program. Last year was the 13th most popular, this year it was second. So big, big jump there. Uh, second one there being social work, that you know went up from 1% to 4%, still not a huge amount of the total uh, of the total responses, but a big jump there. Something that jumps out to me as well is that the two first ones there, uh, they're really service-minded areas. So there may be some trends there as we continue watching year over year. On the declining side of the house, uh, this was the second year of declines for engineering and computer science. Uh, we've had steep drop-offs there in terms of students wanting a master's, doctoral uh, certificate programs in those areas. So a little bit of change there. Uh, social sciences overall saw the biggest drop. Um, but so there's some, some changes we see year over year in terms of what programs students say they're interested in. Uh, one really good question that came in uh, from Marcus Hanscom that I wanted to really touch on here before we launched in, uh, there was a question about the ages of the respondents. So overall, the ages ranged from 17 to 69. So a big window there, the median was 25. Uh, the median age for those who had already gotten their college degree was 32. So depending on who you're trying to recruit and who you're working with, We've got, we've got results there overall. Um, we, we let them kind of break down where they were in their current search, and then some questions were only eligible based on where the student was in their search. 2% uh, were high school students. A lot of those were looking for professional programs, MBAs. Uh, you know, they're looking for medical school, law school, and so they're already starting to think about that as a high school senior. 52% uh, were current undergrads. We know that a lot of students who are thinking grad school start thinking about, start researching their op options while they're still in undergrad. 36% uh, had already graduated college and then 11% already hold one graduate degree. They're looking for either a certificate, they're looking for going from a master's to a doctoral degree, getting a second master's, MBA, things like that. So we, we wanted to kind of get an idea for who these students were overall. There was a surprising bit though. Um, and, and maybe this, you know, if you've been in grad 
grad admissions for a long time. Maybe this isn't a surprise to you. The preferences overall were not significantly different among the key age ranges. Uh, so when we're looking by where they currently are, when we're looking by age, there was just no significant difference, uh, which which I was surprised about. Uh, current high school students were the only ones who differed in some areas. Um, but I'll give you an example here why it's not always tactical to try and pull that out. Um, so one one example that's often cited when I start talking about communications, people say, well, older students want phone calls. So I look at phone calls as this example. Across age ranges, there was no significant difference uh, in their preference for having phone calls across current education, age. Um, the only one that was close to being significant is right on the line uh, was that older respondents were more likely to say they never wanted called. So it's the opposite of what I've had people tell me in the past. Uh, current undergrads, another example here, were more open to email. Uh, they were significantly so more interested in email, but that is already such a key tactic for everybody that, and overall, everyone preferred emails by a wide margin. It just didn't feel relevant to call that out that undergrads wanted more emails or more open to emails. Um, because who's not doing email already? Uh, so really, one of the things I think this says to me is that the differences for recruitment are going to be much more situational. Now, what I mean by that, understanding that what matters to a 40-year-old, for example, and what matters to a 22-year-old, the things they care about are not significantly different in aggregate. How that manifests individually, though, really comes down to your relationship building. Uh, right, that the 40-year-old may need more support, more support getting back into the habits of studying, writing papers, sort of that that thing that the 22-year-olds, if they're just getting out of college, they've been doing that for the last four years, even more so depending on sort of their high school preparation. You know, they may or may not need that support. Um, the degree then, when we're looking at uh, the 40-year-old, they they may be better at juggling sort of multiple. Um, multiple deadlines, multiple priorities. Uh, the 22 year old might not or may, uh, you know, they might, it, it, you may see these differences where a 40 year old says, you know, hey, I want, I've been thinking about this for several years. I really want to get my master's. I really want to get a certificate and help grow my, my uh, career. Whereas a 22 year old may be saying, well, it's expected of me to take this next step. You know, so there may be differences there in how you communicate these same things that matter to both of them, but you frame it differently. Um, but yeah, that was that was a surprise to me. Um, people will always say, well, it's, it's so different recruiting adult grad students. And when we ask them what they care about and how they want communicated, that's not really the case, what we're seeing. So the first insight I want to touch on here, prospective grad students overall say they want support and guidance, not marketing. Now, what I mean here, when we look at what students said they wanted to hear about, uh, you know, primarily it was the processes. Really, it came down to three tiers of importance. Students saying that they want financial aid information, application requirements, what does it take to be accepted, and then application deadlines. Now, those three were the only three that the majority of students said matter. That's what they want to hear about. And that was sort of that first tier. We had a big drop off then to career opportunities. And they wanted to hear about new programs, new specializations, and then inside of the programs that they said they were interested in. That was a big drop. So career opportunities was in that top tier last year. 
And it's surprising to me how much that's dropped down. That'll, I think that's tied to another uh, insight that I'm going to get to next here. But that was, you know, the outcomes, not really as big of an issue, especially if they already have a job, right? Uh, and then less than 20% of students said they wanted to hear about events. So recruiting events, things like that, uh, student life, updates on, on research, faculty and student, uh, faculty news, or the, hey, I'm just checking in, what can I do to help you, things like that. They want you to come to them with the things that are important, the deadlines, the requirements, financial aid, rather than just checking in, asking if they have questions. I know this is always a big question whenever I present these. How do students want to be contact, contacted? Overall, overwhelmingly, email. They want to be emailed first and foremost. Texting was, that one came up a little. That's number two now uh, in terms of, of how they want. Of course, you have to get that okay first. Right? You have to have them say, yes, I am interested. Please text me. Here's my number, number and opt in. But for students who want that, great op option there. Mail, uh, phone calls, video calls. Video calls has been dropping off quite a bit since 2020. We see this on the undergrad, undergrad side of the house too. Students are just kind of burnt out on the video calls. Not such a big thing. Um, we asked this year as well, are they open to being having a direct message or messages on social media? 43% were. Whether that's LinkedIn, whether that's Facebook, if you have that relationship already and you want to check in on that medium, that's always an option now too. And speaking of social media, Another question that always comes up is what social media should we be on to promote our grad programs? And when we asked these grad searchers, where do they go to view official program or university accounts? Overall, they just aren't using social media all that much uh, for their grad search. Instagram was number one, followed very closely by LinkedIn. Uh, YouTube right up there as well. Facebook continues to decline. Uh, and then we have that second tier with Be Real, TikTok, and Twitter. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that it's the same importance on grad as it is on undergrad. So if you're used to doing one or the other there, social media, while it's nice, you know, you can have some opportunity to showcase some stories, things like that. That's not going to be one of the primary ways that students are going to research your program to learn about it. Now, if you have student ambassadors sharing their stories there, that's a great way to get that out. If you have alumni talking about their experiences and promoting you, that's great, but they're not necessarily going to the official accounts either. So how do you showcase this without necessarily going directly at and saying, well, we need to have, uh, we need to have a LinkedIn page or we need to have an Instagram account for the MBA program as well as the accounting program, as well as the that's not really what students uh, are saying here. Uh, second insight, prospective students this year are saying that they're more growth oriented in terms of their motivations. Uh, the share of respondents who reported pursuing a degree because of a, career, a planned career change. So sort of, well, I need this to make that transition. That decreased overall 15% to only 22% of students saying that that's why they were pursuing a degree. They're doing it for their own growth, for their growth within their current career. It's not necessarily, well, I want to completely shift gears, right? When we asked them, 73% of searchers are pursuing a degree for career advancement. And then personal growth, that was the second most. That was a reason for 68% of them. 
These were the only reasons that the majority of respondents cited for actually why they were pursuing a graduate degree. Uh, 48% are looking because they need to have it for their desired career. We saw that much more with students interested in law, medical school, things like that. There's not really another entry point, right? If you want to be a doctor, you kind of have to go to medical school. If you want to be a lawyer, really got to go to law school. So for them, it makes absolute sense that they're doing it because they have to. You know, but for the others, if you have an education program, if you have a social work program, you have certificate programs that are helping them gain extra skills, they're doing it for this personal growth, for that career growth, something they want to do for themselves, for their career. Uh, that's something that's really interesting. I think it opens up some more storytelling possibilities, really get to some of the emotional reasons. It's some of the more qualitative things. Of, instead of just saying, well, we had X job placement after we had, uh, you know, the, this number of people went on to their first placement, whatever. Instead, you can focus on your graduates talking about feeling more fulfilled, feeling like they're making a bigger impact on society, on their office, on students, if they're looking at education, things like that. Uh, less students said they were interested in doing it because they wanted to do research or because they were just planning to change careers, as I mentioned. This was a, a interesting point too I wanna to pull out. Last year, a third of respondents said they were looking for a degree outside of what they got their undergraduate degree in. Last year, a third. This year, 47%, nearly half, said that they are looking at a degree in an area that they did not get their undergraduate degree in. So I know this is out of a lot of your hands here, unless you're in a leadership position, but how are you providing these on-ramps? You know, if a student says they wanna get into uh, maybe they got their undergrad degree in education. They're, they're thinking about getting an MBA. What sort of transitions are there? What on-ramps? You know, do you have easy ways to get them up to speed on what they might be missing from their, from their traditional undergrad uh, preparation? Because nearly half are saying that that's what they want to do. They want to be able to learn something they didn't learn on the undergrad side. Uh, that, that was really, really speaks to some opportunities whether it is like a post-bac one-year intensive, whether it is uh, certificate programs that feed into new ones. So you can have students show that they know the material, show that they're learning, uh, they'll be prepared for that master's or doctoral or professional degree. How are you providing these pathways? And then how do you articulate that? So the students know that they can do it. They want to, but if they don't see an easy way to do it, that can be discouraging. So are you providing these pathways and clearly speaking about how students do it, how they go about that? Uh, the biggest shifts here, uh, nursing. 77% of people who want a graduate degree or certificate in nursing said they were coming from a different undergrad area. Uh, speech pathology, natural sciences, that one was interesting to me uh, because that's, that's a much harder transition, I would think. Uh, nursing as well, there's a lot of things you would have to do in advance, but interesting. Uh, fine and performing arts, psychology, and engineering were students coming in from other areas. These, these were the students who, I want to get into that area, but I don't really have the background yet. All right. Third insight here, the interest in master's programs continue to decline. That was, if you have a master's degree, that's maybe surprising. So we'll, let, let's look at this a little bit more. Uh, master's programs overall have dropped 11 percentage points to 62%, still the largest group of respondents, but it's declined significantly. 
uh, professional programs have seen the biggest rise over the last two years. Uh, looking at law schools, looking at, um, we see a lot in the, the doctor of occupational therapy, doctor of physical therapy. Uh, these, these professional programs are rising in interest. Uh, the certificate programs continue to, to rise as well, not to the same degree uh, in terms of uh, it's not really replacing the masters. Instead, those are moving more into the professional, but certificates continue to, to be more interesting. Students wanting these short-term, can I gain some skills and then show that I've learned them? Uh, I think that when we see when we see some of these online programs like an edX, Coursera, things like that, um, you know, boot camps that are going on, it's the short-term, it's being able to showcase that you know what you've learned, I think that's one of the things that certificates can do really well and provide, again, I mentioned it a little bit, how is that pathway? Is it a, a way that leads into something else? So if you're seeing dips in your master's or doctoral programs, I think there's some cool pathways you might, might consider. Are there stackable things? You know, is it, hey, take these classes, get back into the swing of things, and then those can build towards a certificate. If you offer CPE for uh, accounting, for education, for things like that, can students then build that into a certificate or eventually into a master's? Can they combine things and, and add that and, and have them work towards a doctoral or professional degree? Sort of on their own time. Uh, I know everyone wants it to be, hey, I've signed up, I'm going to do this in this time span. But if you provide more pathways to a degree, you're opening more doors for students as well. We also see just a lot of interest in being in person. So when we look at the breakdown here of the preferred format and the desired degree type, across everyone, you know, the only one where, where we even get close is certificates, but still only 30% of students say that they prefer an online only certificate program. A lot of students still want that face-to-face. -face. They want to be in front of whoever they're learning from. They want to connect with the people uh, they're working with. You know, I think that's, that's an opportunity. If you have an online program, how do you get to some of these things? How do you how do you show students they'll still build relationships? They'll still get to know their professor. They'll still have that uh, that interaction that they might think they aren't. Uh, we saw this on the undergrad side that during the pandemic, when a lot of things shifted to emergency online instruction, I always use that term very intentionally because it's not really online learning in 2020. It was emergency shift over and students overwhelmingly said it was a bad experience. And that's hurting their interest in online programs. So if you offer online program, how are you showing that? How are your alumni speaking up and advocating for you to show that they still get the relationships? They still get the uh, the, the interaction with their faculty member. So uh, before we jump into the questions here, I have one other question here that I want to pose to everybody. I'll share the results of this uh, in our follow-up. But how are you managing your graduate applications? Are you centralizing everything? Uh, all the recruiting, all the processing is centralized in a grad admissions office. You have a centralized recruiting, and then the review of applications is taking place by faculty or whomever in each program. Uh, do the programs themselves handle all the recruitment and review themselves, uh, or is it something else entirely? So I'll let people uh, answer that. This came up on uh, some conversations I had over the last couple of weeks, uh, and it was interesting people talking about, well, we do it this way, but I just, I just don't know if that's normal. 
So hopefully this will help add to some of that. Okay. Well, a few more come in here. We've had a few questions come in as well. Uh, if you came in a little bit, a little bit after the beginning, yes, this is being recorded. You'll get the recording, the slides. Uh, there will be a podcast version of it as well. Uh, then the results from this will be provided to help provide some additional context. Or if you're looking at restructuring your offices, hopefully this will help as well. Okay. So I'll share those results out uh, when we when we send out the email tomorrow. I just want to get to our submitted questions first, and then we'll move over to the uh, to the recruit to the questions at the end here. First up, a couple people asked this. Thank you to Amy and Mike here. Uh, what are the best approaches for online programs versus in-person programs? Really like the age differences I touched on at the beginning. What mattered most and how they wanted to hear about the information wasn't significantly different uh, in, in terms of what types of programs they preferred. Uh, understanding their reasons for wanting their preferred format is going to be much more important. So for example, like in-person programs, it can be a lot of easier in ways uh, because you have your space, your location as an asset. You know, you have the facilities, face-to-face -face relationships, the support offices that they can tangibly access. All of that are things that you can use as touch points, proof points, uh, and, and really something you can showcase. Uh, if a student says they really want online, that's where you need to get to know. Is it because of the flexibility of, of time? You know, you can talk about then scheduling, how they'll be supported asynchronously. Um, you can really address some of those concerns around time management they may have. Uh, if their concern, if, if the reason for wanting to do online has more to do about, well, I'm in a fixed location, I can't move, I like your program, but you're just too far away, uh, then that's how you can talk about, well, great, we'll still help you build relationships. We'll still help you build connections in ways that are going to help them where they are. Uh, here's how our program will help you get what you want without having to move, without having to uproot your lifestyle. So this was another one that online, in-person, their motivations are going to uh, say more about how you communicate with them. But overall, in terms of what information they want, how they want it, it was not significantly different. Uh, how are students discovering grad programs? We're less well known and need to get in front of them. That's a great question. Primarily, they're doing that online. So when we when we ask them, how do you discover new grad programs? Online searches, number one. They're going to Google, they're going to Bing, they're going to DuckDuckGo, all those. Um, grad school search sites such as Niche were number two there. Um, word of mouth, either other alumni, uh, other people advocating for the program, they've heard of it. That's one way that they go about it. Um, discussions with their current faculty members, that would, you know, if they're a current undergrad, that makes sense there. And then everything kind of dropped off after that. You know, did they go to career services? Did they go to on events held on campus? Did they see an online ad and then that really piqued their interest? Uh, or did they take part in in-person or online recruiting fairs? Those grad fairs, um, you know, I remember doing those and as, as much fun as they are, that's not a high priority for students. All right, here, good one here. Are virtual events still worthwhile? Uh, they, they absolutely are, especially if you record them and then offer those up for people to watch later, sort of on their own time. Uh, just over half, 53% of respondents have attended at least one, uh, with it being more common for those interested in professional and doctoral degrees. Uh, it was less common for certificates. Uh, they didn't necessarily want that. 42% uh, of respondents overall said they were interested in attending one. 
the least and well, the one with the interests or mirroring those students interested in professional and doctoral more interested certificates less interested uh, law public health and healthcare were all more interested the students looking at those programs were more interested in attending a virtual event so offering opportunities there can help you build that affinity and um, help open up sort of your geographic reach and provide some more assets for your enrollment marketing so things that you can take out snippets use those for digital ads you can use those in emails and other marketing campaigns. It's just a, a great way to kind of make use of, of some of that. All right, we had several questions come in. Again, if you have not seen the full results yet, there's a link to it and a QR code there. Uh, if you want to email me later, absolutely happy to chat. There's my contact info. Uh, we'll be sending out the email tomorrow with all the additional resources, the recording, all that. Uh, first question here. Curious about the geographic makeup or international? Uh, I'd have to pull that from the data. Uh, we tend to be well distributed geographically. International, um, I'll have to look and, and kind of see there, Andy, what, what we have. Um, and, uh, interested in the difference between US and non-US prospects. Um, I didn't because when we start doing that, then we get into, well, what, what about international students who are interested in MBAs? And the more and more you slice it, the less I can really speak to the results being entirely accurate because you're getting smaller and smaller sample sizes. Uh, so I didn't try and slice and dice it too much like that. Um, we tend to not see massive differences. Um, there was international students tend to want more of those process-based, but we already see that's the number one thing uh, that, that uh, all students want anyway. Uh, do you think students aren't using social media that much because grad programs don't have? social media, or do you think students would use it more if it was more com commonly offered? Um, they are to a degree using it, just much, much less. So really the question was phrased, they had four options. Are you viewing official social media accounts uh, for, the, for the program, for the institution? Are you looking up alumni and current students to kind of get an idea for uh, what their experiences are like? Are you going to, social, to this social media channel uh, to just get general college information not associated with a particular uh, program. And across the board, uh, they just typically weren't going to social media all that much. They would rather go to uh, a, a grad event, uh, a grad search platform. They would rather go to uh, go do a Google search, uh, but they aren't necessarily going to LinkedIn just looking up, hey, I want to know more about this program. Uh, it may be that the program, if they had a really engaging, really interesting uh, account somewhere, I, I just don't, I don't, from what we've seen over the years, there's just not all that much hunger for grad students to turn to, so, to social. Uh, students seem to be like recruiters. They sign up for online events, but don't attend. Uh, they know recorded sessions or slide decks will be sent afterwards. Uh, that's always funny for, for someone hosting the webinar and seeing the number of people who sign up versus those who attend. Uh, the good news I can tell you, um, so we, and, and this, I'll be interested to see if anyone, if you drop it in the chat if, you, if you've done this, um, but I have a lot of success. We have the webinar, we share the recording, and then we do the podcast version. Um, typically, we get five to, si five to six times as many people watching and listening after as attended live. Uh, I'd be interested to see if it works the same on the student side. 
if you offer a version of a podcast version, an audio version of an event after the fact, as well as the video event, uh, are students going to listen to it on their commute? Or are they going to listen to it later? I think a big part of that is keeping it short, keeping it focused. Uh, you know, I don't think students will listen to an hour and a half session of someone dryly reading off slides, but if it's engaging, if there's questions, if there's interaction, uh, if it's sort of a uh, behind the scenes look at, at how you review applications and how you support students as they, uh, you know, maybe as they move on to their fellowships, as they work through their grad research, you know, I think that that's some things that may garner some attention. You have the webinar, you share the recording, you share a podcast version, and then measure the results and see if you get that. Uh, but yeah, Andy, I think that's that may be the case that they sign up, things come up, they're unable to attend, but are you able to then measure how many watch it after, how many listen to it after, and then see, you know, is this a good use of our half an hour, 45 minutes, hour? Okay. Any other questions coming in? In the full results, it's segmented by type of degree, by degree program. So if you want to see, you know, the overall results and then how uh, business students differ or how uh, education students differ, that's all segmented out there. Uh, it's just much easier than trying to write a version of this for every single one. Okay. Thank you all. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any specific questions via email.